sometimes in a stereotypical counseling session, that type of session, and I'm talking about where someone comes in and they want to hear what you have to say, that is the expectation when someone comes to a counseling session. It's like coming to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and the doctor knows that you are there because you want help from the doctor. That is a stereotypical counseling session. And sometimes that kind of expectation can get in the way because it's not what the individual wants. They have a preconceived, maybe even a pessimistic instinct about what might happen in this counseling session, or this also applies with parents and teenagers specifically. And in a counseling session, for example, a teenager can come in And they have this preconceived pessimistic instinct because they know that it's three against one. It's a setup. It's two parents and a counselor whom they do not know versus the teenager. Knowing how to predict this possibility in any discipleship context, whether it's counseling or, as I just mentioned with parents, customizing your care to the person who is in front of you, is absolutely essential. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm very thankful that you are here and listening. If you want to read this article, well, I have it for you. Go to our ministry's website and you can read what I'm going to share with you word for word. There are also embedded links inside of this article. And so if you want to spend a little more time doing a deeper dive, you're welcome to do that. The title of the article that you'll find on our website, as well as this podcast, is You Must Know This Before You Counsel Anyone. Now, let me set this up by describing to you a counseling session that I had I don't know, probably 20 years ago or more, a mother called me and she asked if I would counsel her teenage son. This mother was more interested in her teenager finding help than he was. By the way, let that be a counseling tip. Sometimes when the parent calls, many times it's the mother that does the calling and they are concerned for their child and they're reaching out and they just want someone to speak into this child's life to help this kid to get over or to get through whatever is complicating his life at this time. And because the mother is the one that's seeking help for the child, that may be a clue. In fact, it probably is a clue that the teenager is not as interested, not as vested in in this as she is. But nevertheless, I agreed, and she brought her teenager into the office. After two hours of counseling, Biffy, he asked me if I was ever going to talk about God. I asked him what he meant, and this is what he said. We have been talking for two hours, and you haven't said anything about God. When are you going to talk about God? And then I responded to Biffy with this. Well, now since you brought it up, let's talk. Tell me what you think about God. What about the church? I asked Biffy. I intentionally directed the counseling conversation in a way that Biffy was not expecting. You see, Biffy's parents gave him no choice but to see a Christian counselor, a stranger, a strange man. 
and Biffy assumed I would push Jesus on him. And because his parents sent him to me, I assumed that he would brace himself against any discussion about God or brace himself against me probing into his dark life. Now, it's interesting. I was having this conversation just last week with one of our mastermind students, and I told her the story about Biffy because she shared a similar story. Actually, it's not a mastermind student, a mastermind graduate, and she shared a similar story about a young lady that she's meeting with who was expecting to get broadsided with the gospel. These tense scenarios could put any discipler or any parent in a bind. The counselee does not want to be there, or they expect the shoving of the Lord down their throats. And so this podcast and what I'm sharing with you is not just for counselors in a counseling context. It is very much for parents Because parents see things that are happening in their teenagers' lives, and they too can want to speed up the process to salvation or some kind of transformative moment. And if you speed up the process without building the relational bridge in that person's life, if you don't deconstruct their preconceived expectations of what you're going to do Well, you might not be able to accomplish all that you had hoped. In the early parts of any tough conversation, there will be resistance or defensiveness. There can even be insecurity about the direction that you want to take. And so you have to make sure that the person that's getting in the car with you wants to go where you want to go. For example, an angry teen will try to put the counselor at a disadvantage when he first comes to the session. That's what Biffy was doing with me. Now, what Biffy wasn't thinking through is that I used to be that angry teen as well. I used to be the armed, cross, stubborn, facade kind of person who was weak on the inside and really crying out for anyone to help me because I was so trapped in the issues that were going on in my life. And so as I looked at Biffy sitting across the room with his arms crossed, legs crossed, daring me to say anything about the Lord, a part of that was humorous because, again, I was basically looking in in the mirror And so Biffy showed his resistance by his countenance, by his posture, and even by his words. And so a wise disciple-maker will have already discerned the situation ahead of time and will have prepared his heart for the inevitable. The last thing the counselor needs to do is to let a person's resistance offend them. If that stubborn teenager that you're talking to is not giving it up, is not being cooperative in the conversation that you're having, whether it's a counselor, counseling office or a living room, the last thing in the world that you need to do is to be offended by their resistance because all that's going to do is pile on to the pre-existing problem. That's called a complicating problem. You see, if the teen were mature already, And if the teenager was in love with God already, he probably would not be sitting in front of you anyway. And so the very fact that he is being brought to a counseling session means that he has trouble in his life and 
the potential of him being resistant to what you hope to do with him, well, is pretty high. And so we must not elevate our expectations so high only to be set up for a quick disappointment when the other person is not as optimistic about your time with them. I have so many memories in my mind of my own of our children uh, to where I was more concerned about their righteousness and their sanctification and their love of God and loving <laughs> their love for others more more than they they were and so you don't want to be cynical or pessimistic about the individual that you are meeting with but you do want to lower the bar just enough to guard your heart because you cannot be that complicating problem in this two-actor play that you are participating in. If he is glad to be with you, then count that as an unexpected surprise. And I have had those unexpected surprises many times. In fact, probably more times than not. Uh, Biffy was probably the hardest case and probably the toughest one, or at least the one that put up the the supposed toughest facade. And so perhaps taking a more measured, slower approach to your eventual hope-filled goal would prove to be wisdom in these situations. And so you need to think at another level. You need to think a different way than the expected or the anticipated, because again, he will have that preconceived notion of what you want to do with him, to him. There are times when it's best to be less predictable in a discussion with someone. God is like this. I mean, his thoughts are, and our thoughts are like really different. You remember what Isaiah said about God in 55, 8, and 9. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If someone can predict you all the time because you only have one gear, they will fortify accordingly, and you'll have more difficulty penetrating their defensiveness. Now, these situations should not be discouraging for the Christian. You see, we have an advantage over the resistant soul. The Spirit of God gives illuminating insight into what is happening. You see, it's not three against one, the way the Biffy is thinking, but it is two against one. It's you and the Spirit of God the Spirit of God to give you insight into the words that he is speaking or the posture that he is giving off. He'll give you insight into his heart. The Spirit of God is your ally in a counseling session or a discipleship opportunity with a child. But, not, but the Spirit of God is not the only advantage. We also have God's Word that provides wise guidance in how to proceed with a difficult person. And then God enables us with patience, forbearance, perseverance, long-suffering when dealing with resistant people. We have advantages when we go into these contexts with people who aren't exactly on board with what we hope might happen with, with our time with them. 
Now, maybe one of the ways that you can think about it is that you can go back and reflect on when the Lord regenerated you. For many of us, we were not in favor of his excellent work in our lives initially. I was 25 years old before I came to Christ. Imagine meeting me at 15 with my crossed arms and my drug business and all the other things that I had going on in my life. I was impenetrable at that time. And that's where patience and forbearance, perseverance and long-suffering are essential. Now, what about since your salvation? I mean, how many times after your salvation have you sinned? How patient is God with us, not pushing us prematurely or too sternly? Have you ever sinned and thought that God might crush you on the spot? But you were relieved to find out God was not going to send you to hell or punish you in some other way, but showed mercy and love and kindness and grace and long-suffering and patience and forbearance. God is not predictable that way, and it's that kind of grace that can motivate you to change. Paul talked about this in Romans 2.4. He said this, quote, Do you presume, do you take for granted, do you presume on the riches of his kindness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? How fabulous is that? And then Ephesians 5.1, we are told to imitate God. And so we want to imitate God this way, not being so predictable or forcing the issue when really it shouldn't be forced in this context like what I am describing with Biffy. Now, please understand that I am not suggesting letting every sin go without speaking into it but sometimes overlooking a resistant attitude because you have bigger fish to fry. It could prove to be a perfect response. And that's where we have the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that is giving us the light that we need to step into at that moment to know whether to go left or right or to go straight forward. In Biffy's case, I just needed to kick kick the gear shift into idle and just sit there in neutral for two hours, not going in any direction whatsoever, just shooting the breeze with a boy who did not want to be in, in, in my space. Most counseling contexts do not come with an already established relational bridge that connects you with the struggling soul. And that relational bridge is absolutely critical. If you don't have that relational bridge, if it is not fortified, that it's built in time to where trust is in the relationship, and that person knows you and knows that you are for them, it would be like sitting down with a stranger and being rebuked by a stranger. Without that relational bridge, you may end up in the ravine of relational disappointment if you trot heavy truth across to a person too soon. Spending time relating to the person, asking questions, 
listening well so he knows you understand him. Work on building a fortified relationship with him first of all. Now, this is one of the liabilities of biblical counseling because you don't have these other contexts with this individual. You don't, you're not cooking out on the deck on a Saturday afternoon. You're not watching a football game together. You're not going somewhere, uh, going hiking or, or whatever. You don't have all these other contexts where you can build a relationship with an individual. Counseling does not offer that. They are there for one reason. You're going to drill down into them. But if they don't know you or you, you don't have a history of care in this person's life, there will be resistance. But it's also important to understand that he did not get messed up overnight. And so there is no need to press him into a religious response upon first meeting him. Biffy spent 17 years of his life getting messed up, and he had help along the way. And to think that, that it's going to be, he's going to be fixed in two hours, well, that's not likely. And so what I have to do is I have to slow the process down and build relationally with him. By the way, that is why all of my counseling sessions forever have been two hours, minimally. There's been a few outliers along the way, but uh, it's standard practice. And I'm not saying that you have to do it. You can do it however you want to do it. But what I'm saying, because of the very thing that I'm communicating to you here, I established a practice many, many years ago uh, that all counseling sessions would be two hours because I want the people that I'm caring for to feel, to feel my care, uh, to sense that I care for them, and I want to give them that time. They need time to cry and to curse and to do whatever it is they need to do. As, as one lady did, one time she stood up and slung her purse against the wall. She wasn't mad at me. She was mad at her husband. Now, I, I'm not saying that that's what every counselee should do. I'm not recommending that behavior. But counseling sessions can be tense, and she was angry. But, but it wasn't constrained to 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour. And we had time to work it out with that lady and her husband, by the way. And that's why I counsel, I have historically counseled for two hours. If he senses you're forcing the issue too strongly, then his defenses may go up. And it will hinder your good intentions, no matter how good they are. The temptation for counselors and parents is to speed up the process, either because of the time-limiting counseling context demands it, or the parent is trying to avert, avert imminent danger in the child's life. And so I've spoken to the time-limited counseling context because counselors can feel that, that tension. They have whatever their counseling session is, 45 minutes or an hour, or in my case, two hours. You're not sure if you're going to see the person again. And so this is all you got. You, you have one moment in time to be able to do something erratically. Hoping that God would do something radically is the uh, more biblical way of putting it, but you can feel that tension in your heart. And then parents can speed up the process as well because they can look out into the child's future 
And because because we have all been there, done that, we know what the decisions are that this child is making. We know what those decisions could turn into, you know, in six weeks or six months. And there could be a temptation to force the issue. Again, thinking of me just getting out of jail as a 15-year-old and someone coming along and pressing me to make a decision for Christ and speeding up something that, well, now I'm looking in hindsight, it would only it would take ten more years before I would come to my senses as the prodigal as we say with the prodigal son. And so speeding it up, sometimes that can lead to your detriment in the relationship. And so again, that's where we need the Spirit of God's illumination. That's where we do need God providing us with the patience, perseverance, the long suffering, forbearance that we need in a, a counseling session or any kind of interaction with another soul. But also, you may want to share with the parents your philosophy of counseling. Just as the kid may come to you expecting to hear about God and a call to change today, the parents could be assuming you're going to do your God magic during the first session, and progress will be evident and effectual in two hours or less. Go. What they could not do in 15 years, or in Biffy's case, what the parents could not do in 17 years, they wanted me to do in two hours or, or two meetings. I mean, it could happen. I mean, I don't know God's mind on these things. I'm only speaking at a human responsibility level here. I know God can activate and, and he can penetrate any heart and, and the magic can happen because God brings him to his senses in two hours or less. But just speaking on a human level, we want to make sure that we know, is this the time to make the move? And I, I sensed with Biffy that it was not the time. Here's the end of the story. My counseling time with Biffy ended well. He came in resistant, so we shot the breeze for nearly two hours. It was so obvious. I mean, he was telegraphing his punches. It was obvious he was not interested in what I had to say, not for the first two hours. And so I used that time to quickly, to quickly build a relational bridge with this young man. We laughed a lot. We talked about random things. We acted like two regular Joes. If you were to video this if, as a, for a counseling class and up-and-coming biblical counseling students were watching this, they may say the same thing as Biffy. Hey, you ever going to talk about God? What's up with this? This is what I was expecting the whole time. The counseling students could get frustrated and really become quizzical about what's happening. And this is not a counseling session. This is two people who are shooting the breeze. He began to open up to the point where he wanted to know about God. He's the one that brought it up. We had several sessions after that, and there was no place that I could not go with him. You see, he wanted help. I knew he wanted help. As I said earlier, there was a facade. We all have that facade. That's our representative. That's the person that we present to everybody else. And if you only see the representative, 
and, and, and don't dial into the illuminating spirit that's giving you insight into what is really going on in the person's heart, you might think he doesn't want help. But if you wait him out, which is a job description for a biblical counselor, and it should be a job description for parents too. Hey, what's your job title? I'm a waiter outer. And so I was waiting him out. He did want help. I knew that. His parents knew that. Biffy knew that, but he was not giving up any tells, not until the very end when he just telegraphed it and asked explicitly, hey, you going to talk about God? He wanted help, but before going there with me, he had to know if I was on his side. I was not the only person in that session trying to figure out someone. Biffy was trying to figure me out too. And there were two specific things that he wanted to know. One of them was, am I trustworthy? I mean, if I'm going to spill my guts to you, can I trust you? And then number two, do you have enough game to help a struggling boy? I mean, why should I reveal my darkest secrets to you if, one, you're not trustworthy, and then, two, you don't possess the competency to help me? Why should I go to a doctor and share all of these things that's wrong with me, knowing that this doctor ain't got no game anyway? I want to find someone that I know that I can trust. They're trustworthy people or a trustworthy person and they have competency to walk me through this. I was trying to figure Biffy out, and Biffy was trying to figure me out. After two hours, we figured each other out and started talking about Jesus. Sometimes being forceful or using awkward posturing to gain a redemptive advantage is not an advantage at all. In nearly all cases, troubled souls do want to talk to someone if they know you're on their side and you will stick with them to the end. The title of this podcast and the article that I just shared with you is, You Must Know This Before You Counsel Anyone. You're welcome to read all of this if you want. And if you do, please get down to the bottom of it. And I have three sets of questions for you. I will share them with you right now. Question set number one. Think through a time when you pushed too hard, too soon. Here's the question. How did it go? Here's the follow-up. What should you have done differently? This would be a good discussion with a couple of couples, you know, maybe three or four couples, a small group of couples that you get together and talk about your children. That would be good. Or biblical counselors to have this discussion too among your team or church staff, leadership team. Think through a time when you pushed too hard, too soon. How did it go? What should you have done differently? Here's question set number two. What is your usual practice? Are you more direct with people to the point? Or are you the person who is not direct enough? And here's a follow-up question. Why are both qualities positive and negative? Why is being direct positive and negative? And why is not being direct enough positive and negative? And then what I would like for you to do Last question in this set, 
How will you enhance your strength, whatever your strength is, while practicing overcoming your weakness, whatever your weakness is, in context of being direct or not being direct enough? How will you enhance your strength? Keep doing what you're doing, but get better at it while overcoming your weakness. Stop doing what you're doing so you can become better in caring for others. Here's question set number three. For those of us who have blown it with a counselee or a child, and I, I, I say us in this because I, I'm, the, I'm the biggest blown it person of all. For those of us who have blown it with a counselee, and I've blown it with both, by the way, I'm in the business of counseling, so I have blown it with many counselees, and there are testimonies out there to affirm that, or with a child. The call is to rest in sovereign Lord, because all of us, I imagine, can look back and say, yeah, I've blown it with so-and-so. I could have done better on that one. Wish I had a do-over. The call is to rest in the sovereign Lord. Here's the question. Are you resting in God regarding those who received your imperfect care? Follow up. If not, what needs to change about you? This is You Must Know This Before You Counsel Anyone. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.